Hi, I'm Amy Blackthorne, and this is Blackthorne Grove. Hello and welcome. I'm Amy Blackthorne, and this is the Blackthorne Grove, a podcast where witchcraft meets with good friends over tea to talk about the nature of magic and community. Today, we have the amazing Courtney Weber with us today. Uh, I, I'm so tickled to do this today. I'm, I'm just... I, I've been bumping into Courtney all over the place for uh, quite a few years, so Aww. I figured this way I can uh, get to share her fabulousness with you all. Courtney is a witch, author, and tarot advisor, and activist. She's the author of Bridget, History of Mystery, Magic of the Celtic Goddess, and Tarot for One, one of my dearest books. Uh, mm -hmm. You should absolutely check it out. The Art of Reading for Yourself, and the forthcoming Oh wait, no, the Morgan is not forthcoming. It's already yeah, out. no, that one's out. I'm sorry. I think I sent you an old bio. Sorry it's about that. It's all good. It's all good. Um, the Morgan, Celtic goddess of magic and might, and the forthcoming Hecate, goddess of the witches. She is a co-host of That Witch Life podcast. If you have not checked it out, my absolute favorite interview was the Stormy Daniels interview. That's the best thing ever. <laughs> and, oh, it was so much fun. We totally will have to dive into that, talking about Stormy Daniels. I'm actually getting a tarot reading from her tomorrow. So, cause now she's gone completely metaphysical and into the paranormal and she's now a tarot reader. And so, yes. <laughs> I love it, I love it, I love it. Um, she's been featured in Maxim Playboy, the Huffington Post, Vice and the Tom Hartman Show. You can visit her online at CourtneyWeber.com. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Amy. Just one quick question. It's Courtney A. Weber on the website just so people don't miss that when they're looking for me. Oh, good. Yes, that's very important. Thank you. No problem. So what have you been doing? How have you been keeping yourself busy? Well, for a while, it was um, just kind of focusing on um, coping for a while. Yes. <laughs> and part of that involved um, finishing Hakate, which was um, a really tough book to write. Um, I'm really glad I did it, but it was, it was really, really difficult. And also learning to play the violin. Um, that's been a big thing for me this year and trying to finish my novel, which I'm, I'm really, really hoping 2021 is the year that that thing finally gets finished. So that's been it. Um, in addition to that, uh, had such a, a recent um, explosion of attention due to my TikTok videos depicting um, really strange tarot client <laughs> situations. And they so, are so great. I, I, you know, I was nervous because I was like, I'm afraid people aren't ever going to come see me for a reading. It either again or in the future, but no, it's the opposite. I mean, when I, you know, people actually um, want the tarot reader who is um, is doing the the strange depictions. I'm like, that's okay, that's fine. <laughs> and I even have returning clients like, oh my god, I love this video. So when can we get together? And I'm like, okay, as long as I'm not chasing anybody away, that's fine. Um, so that's that's been it. And also, I my day job is in social justice. So um, of course, the past year there's been a lot of of things that have needed that attention. Absolutely. Um, so, um, yeah. And aside from that, trying to get rid of all the invasive stuff on my property and plant native plants. I think I've kept pretty busy during the pandemic. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, been... it's Yeah. It, fun stuff. I mean, my formerly when I, in the, the pre COVID world, I was on airplanes almost twice a month, which is, you know, my carbon footprint is awful. Um, but then, um, you know, since I've been home, um, spending a lot more time getting to know the plants of my area. And it's been really a blessing and learning, tr learning or trying to figure out what some of their magical properties are. 
um, because so many of the books that talk about North American folk magic and relationship to plants and things focus very much on the East Coast, the Southeast and the Southwest, but I have not yet found a whole lot that talks about the Pacific Northwest. So I have to do the best I can taking a, taking a guess with things. And um, for better or worse, we have lots of invasive stuff that has plenty of magical properties. So, and I'm a big component of, of attacking the invasive things and making them work for me. So. Absolutely. Your local <laughs> extension office is always a really good resource. My local extension office? Yes. Okay, I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, okay. they're, they're a thousand percent yay native species and boo invasive junk. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it's like me versus the the. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, it's a me versus the heavenly bamboo. It was a whole ritual in itself, getting rid of that stuff, and it was actually really cool. I had this um, a friend who was dealing with this terrible neighbor, and um, I had her on my cell phone, and I just you know, sat her out there. I said, "We're going to chop down some bamboo while we talk," and um, so she was just telling me all about it. And I said, "All right, I want you to focus on these neighbors, these awful neighbors that are calling the cops on you for dumb reasons." And, um, and channel their image into this bamboo. And she's like, okay, so she's holding space. And I take out my ax and just whap, boom. <laughs> and this piece goes flying out, hits the fence behind me. And I sent it to her in the mail. And I said, you need to drive some nails through this whenever they start giving you a hard time. So she's now got it like wrapped in red thread and stuck in the freezer, so. Wonderful, <laughs> that's fantastic. It is a really great way to do some green witchery with an ax. <laughs> that's the best kind of witchery i know and i saw something on somebody's page where they're like gardening is you think it's for little old ladies but they know you're out there and you're fighting bugs and the elements and sometimes you have to get out an axe and start chopping stuff up and it's <laughs> oh yeah my my i don't even use a trowel anymore i have a uh, a japanese uh gardening knife that's oh my god yeah you know, something that crocodile dundee would be very proud of oh this is a <laughs> knife mate <laughs> It's great. It's got a reinforced pommel so you can actually use it as a hammer. It's got serrated edges on it. You can cut rope. You can dig dandelion roots out with it. It's great. Oh, wow. I want one of those. I'll ask for that for my birthday. Bare Bones Living is where I found it. That's where the that really fantastic foraging bag comes from. Okay. It's got the, It's got a waterproof liner inside of it so you can get gushy wet things. But the whole bottom just folds up. So if you, you know, you're going apple picking or whatever, you can fill the bag up and then just unclip the bottom and everything falls out the bottom. You don't know how, you can clean it out. It's um, really thick waterproofed canvas. Mm. It's it's great. I actually gave one to my best friend for her birthday last year because they're amazing and everyone should own one. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I like it. <laughs> I like it. So let me ask. Were you interested in witchcraft as a kid? Like, where did where did your life take a its witchy bent? You know, I think I always was, but didn't quite know what that <clears throat> meant. I mean, like most kids, you you saw for me it was the movie Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, where <clears throat> I was started trying to cast spells on my stuffed animals to make them come to life, and um, I, I think that's a more of a childhood thing than a future witch thing. But for me, um, I knew pretty early on, probably around 10 or 11, that I could talk to the dead mm -hmm. and I could call them if I needed some help. And I would be able to call my grandfather to come visit me when I wanted to. And I could started to know when I felt the presence of the dead. Um, and then I was, you know, probably 11 or so when I got into, 
someone taught me how to make a Ouija board. I didn't actually have one. So I drew one on notebook paper and, and used one of my clip-on earrings as the uh, the marker and had that out on the playground. We were talking to spirits. Um, That's wonderful. Yeah, underneath the uh, equipment. Um, so I, I think, I think, I was very, a very devout religious child um, and had a lot of fear of God as much as I loved God. I also had tremendous fear and it was because of the, uh, the exposure to religion that I had in that um, my dad's family is, is Catholic and we went to, we went to mass and things like that, but we really didn't have a Catholic community. Like we didn't, um, the Northwest is a pretty secular place. And so people mm -hmm. often just go to church and go home, but there aren't, with some exceptions, of course, there's not so much the church community out here that there was like there is say in the Southeast or other places like that, when the church right. is really a huge part of the fabric of life. So, um, you know, you'd, you'd hear things in mass, um, you might get pamphlets about, you know, what is considered sinful, but there really wasn't an opportunity to discuss that so much. Um, and, um, with, um, my mom's family, Southern Baptist and, um, there that it's the kind of faith that does, um, um, and this is not putting this on the responsibility of my family members, but the churches that we would go to with them or the literature that they would have laying around their house was a lot of fire and brimstone. Um, and a lot of just this kind of fear. And so I used to be afraid that if I didn't read my Bible every night that I would get punished. Um, and that, or if, um, I, sometimes I would be so afraid to even say the our father or something because that prayer just felt too much. I was afraid of God noticing me and, you know, figuring out that I was bad or something. But I always felt like I could pray to Mary and that that was a safer place to go. Or I could pray, or I could contact my ancestors and that was a safer place to go. Um, and then when I got a little bit older, I really believed that there was something very powerful about the ocean that was more powerful than any kind of presence that I felt in our churches growing up. There just seemed like there was something there that was absent in the churches. Um, and then, you know, I'm 15, 16 years old, the craft comes out, I start questioning everything I'm being taught in my Catholic high school. And I want to be different, but not too different because um, and <laughs> different enough to be cool. This is different enough, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I I started, um, you know, just kind of naming some of the things that I believed in. It would say things like, "Well, I believe in fairies, yeah, and I believe in reincarnation. I believe in." Um, I don't think God is just one guy in the sky. I, I think God's more of an energy. I just started naming that stuff and. Um, Around that time, people started giving me witchcraft books because they just assumed I was into it. And they're like, well, you're into this stuff, right? And I'm like, well, I don't know. And then um, one day I actually read one and went, oh, oh, and it was it was actually Raven Gramassi's The Wiccan, uh, the Wiccan Mysteries. And um, which is at the time really w was something that I was able to put a name to it. I remember some of the thoughts I had, which to me are just like scorchingly funny now when he talks about dancing around bonfires and that, you know, when you're with a witchcraft community, I'm like, what community? And who dances <laughs> around bonfires? Where are these people? <laughs> <laughs> now I can't get away from the fuckers. They're everywhere. I hope I can curse on your podcast, Amy. Please just enjoy All yourself. Right. <laughs> I know, but it's like at that time, I remember thinking to myself, like, who does like a Wiccan wedding where the bride wears green? Who in the world would do that? Who who has this? And the church would never allow it. Or I'm like, nobody does that. 
you know, and then I actually started hearing more like, no, there's actually whole communities. The world's a lot bigger than, you know, what you've had in your suburban Oregon town. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, once I named it, then it just really took off. And that was all there was. Um, and my relationship with witchcraft has changed a lot over the years, but it's very funny. I feel like now it's, it's very much, now that I'm back in Oregon, it's very similar to how it was before I had a name for it. And there's a lot of talking to ancestors. Um, they're still flipping up in the Bible what I want to hear what my ancestors have to say. And they have spilled some tea on some witches that way. It's been so <laughs> funny. I love it. I'm like, wow. Cause I mean, especially in the old Testament, those people got mean with each other and I'm like, oh, okay. You know, um, but certainly, um, and you know, what has a lot more influence from, um, you know, Appalachian traditions that are really like underneath the, the, the fire and brimstone kind of thing. And, um, find like, you know, some of reading some of the work of Jake Richards and having great conversations with him, realizing that some of the things I thought were just quirky to my family are actually no very, very old timey Appalachian folk stuff. And, um, uh, like lighting candle wicks when you bring a candle in the house my mom said no no do not leave the candles out that is tacky is what she said you always light the wick because it's tacky and so oh, we always thought it was like okay mom and I never understood why nobody else did that but my mom I'm like is my mom the only one in the world who realizes that this is tacky and then I read that's actually an Appalachian way of preserving luck in the in the home which I don't even think she knew and I was like oh my god that's so funny you know or um like I used to, I, I used to, um, what did I do just to, I know my mom, I take my hat and I would throw it on the bed or pretend to throw it on the bed. And I would watch her stiffen. I'm like, I'm gonna throw the hat on the bed. I'm gonna throw the hat on the bed. She goes, she's like, Courtney. And she wouldn't say why, but like, don't throw your hat on the bed. That's bad luck. And I remember seeing Troop Beverly Hills and, um, <laughs> oh God, what's the name of the actress from Cheers who was in, played Phyllis Neffler. You know who I'm oh, talking um, about? Oh, I can see her. You know who she is? Yes. I can, the, Your the listeners most... are screaming as they all know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I can all see right. her from the, the, what is it, Weight Watchers commercial she was doing for a while? Yeah, it'll it'll come to us in a second and then we'll scream. Anyway, she threw her hat across on the bed in Trip Beverly Hills and I was like, doesn't she know better? You're not supposed <laughs> to ever do that. And again, you're not supposed to do that because it apparently is like, you know, a death omen or something like that to lay a hat on the bed. I still don't lay hats on the bed. I can't do it. You know, um, so there's those kinds of things. And now I keep a jar of money by the front door because that's a, that's a thing to do. There's just all this, these pieces that I just thought were the weird things about the family and that are now come back into it. And I'm, I'm starting to explore that direction uh, with more of a Slavic spirituality because there's things that my dad's family does that I always thought was weird to them. Like um, there's a saying in, um, and, you know, Slovak, um, and I'm not, I'm not even sure what it is, but my, my dad and his brothers used to say it because my great grandmother would get upset and start crossing herself. So they did it just to upset her, which is such a <laughs> teenage boy thing to do. Um, and then I said, well, what is it? He goes, well, in English, it means may lightning, may, may lightning strike you dead. And I'm like, okay. But then I found out that there is a Slavic thunder god named Perun, where yes. one, of the worst, one of the worst curses you could say <clears throat> is may Perun take you. And I'm like, so that's where that comes from is that may lightning strike you is like uh, maybe not having the context or it's just the you know a slightly mistranslation but that's like it's it's stayed in the family as something you just don't say even if unless you're doing it just to annoy you know bubba so which is <laughs> <laughs> terrible but yeah so those are some of the that's a long answer to your your story but it's been um 
that's, yeah, I got started just because I think I, I wanted to know more. I felt like there was something there. And I was always such a ghost story junkie. And I wanted my cousin's ghost stories because they were the stories that either happened to her or happened to a friend of hers. They weren't just like the urban legends you hear in the books. So, you know, that was that was a big thing for me. And now I'm, I'm, I'm really do, um, I'm now the person at the, you know, when the group campouts who has all the, the ghost stories the teenagers want to hear, then they can't sleep at night because I scared them. <laughs> um, and then my niece and nephew are always begging for more stories, but I don't tell them the scary ones anymore. They used to want the scary stories, but then they wouldn't be able to sleep at night. My sister's like, no more. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. They, that's me. I just asked for them. <laughs> so now I just tell them stories about the pirates on the West Coast and, you know, some of the legends around here. There's some really, really good folklore and legends in uh, the state of Oregon, some weird stuff. And I just love it. So that's my, I guess that explains my, my witchcraft as much as anything else. And then I got a big heavy dose of European gods and goddesses in the middle of it. Oh yeah. My, my mother actually, um, I always got the, the, the candle lighting thing right away. Yeah. Only, uh, in hers, she, uh, she was always taught that it keeps your house from being burnt down. Mm. I was like, oh, that's, that's, I filed that away. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. It's probably that's there's got to be some kind of legacy and connection to Ireland there, because the Irish have so many rituals around protecting the helms because they had the, these thatched roofs, which were super flammable and fires in the house. So mm-hmm. you know, a lot of those things are probably connected. You know. Oh yeah, my my family is from Ireland by way of Scotland, and then it it just all filters down through Appalachia. We're um, probably related, Amy, way back in the way, probably. <laughs> My, um, my mother's all, all of my mother's family came down through, um, was transported to Ireland and then uh, to the new world. So uh, my grandmother's family settled in Kentucky. They were raised in a coal mining camp in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And so there's all, there's a lot of that that still comes in. My grandmother herself is no longer alive, but her sister is. So I I can still get some of that when I have questions and I see things that I'm like, what is that thing? I can, I can at least still have some connection like, um, my, my grandmother's sister still keeps uh, a dried string of beans, uh, green beans in the kitchen to make sure that they always have plenty to eat. Mm, that's a good one. I didn't know that one, but one that I feel like, um, we, my, my family's been in, uh, my mom's family has been on this side of the pond for a good 300 years. So there's not, <clears throat> they really associate with being from Carolina and not necessarily from Ireland, as opposed to my dad's family, who's a little more recent, where they know exactly where in Europe they came from. Um, But, you know, there was always this family story about how my mom had chicken pox as a, you know, she was probably 11 or something like that, or maybe a little younger. My grandmother, the first thing she did when it cut off all her hair, and she had a very, very long, long, long red hair that she always kept in a ponytail that my grandfather just loved. And um, my grandmother was you know, raising four kids and probably really wasn't thinking about it a whole lot, just cuts off her hair. And then as soon as my grandfather walks in the house, she tosses in the ponytail and it just broke his heart. So that's this family story. And I was always like, mom, why did grand cut your hair? And she's like, I don't know, because I was sick. And I was like, what a strange thing. And I was like, why would she do that? And then actually talking to Laura O'Brien, who talks about that is an Irish custom is that if there's fever or sickness, you cut the hair and you get rid of it as a way of, and I'm like, that must be where the origins of that, of what my grandmother did. And she doesn't know why she did it. She's just, that's what she, probably what she saw growing up too. When someone's really sick, you cut their hair. You know. And it makes all the sense. You've changed your appearance. If someone's putting something on you, you've changed your appearance, the fever will go. Yeah, yeah. Or there's, some, or there's um, yeah, or there's the connection. I mean, so many cultures, a connection with hair 
is, you know, I remember um, hearing um, a, a speech with um, an indigenous woman from out here in Oregon where she said that um, she would never let an unmarried woman touch her hair because as she said, there's medicine in the hair. And so if that mm -hmm. unmarried woman is jealous of her, that could cause problems for her. So unmarried women are never allowed to touch her hair. And so I feel like there's hair as this, you know, this, this long thing or like, a, you know, Marie Laveau was a hairdresser. Mm -hmm. you know um, and, so and that's super that, handy when, when people in the neighborhood have, have oh, something yeah, just, just like, you know just, it's like yeah or like a friend of mine pocket. who's from a friend of mine who's from um, whose family's from Puerto Rico she said she would never leave any hair lying around the house she said you could never leave hair lying around because somebody she said I said I have family members who would take that hair and do something with it mm -hmm. so she's like you never leave hair lying around so my peep, yeah. um, who I dedicated Blackthorns Botanical Magic to, um, sadly she she died when I, a couple days after I signed the contract for this one, so I, I was able mm -hmm. to dedicate it to her. Um, always one of the first things she taught me was like never ever leave your hair around. Someone will take it. Um, she used to wind it up in a piece of tissue and spit on it to sever the tie between her hair and herself, and then flush it. Now, the, the fabulous humans who I know who work in waste treatment say, please don't flush hair, <laughs> but <laughs> making sure that someone isn't putting a curse on you, I think is a little important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we bury at least some really gross garbage. They're, they're less likely to go after it, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what, are we anywhere on track of what you wanted to talk about, Amy? Or are we just going all over the place? We're all over the place. It's great. I know. Well, that's me as a podcast host. I'm like, oh, this is, let's just let them go. <laughs> so I, this is this is a taboo subject between authors. So I I know that you, you may not like this question. Which of your books do you feel closest to right now? You know, it's so. I wouldn't say it's. Um, what do I feel closest to? Um, I think because each one, once they're done, they're out there. Mm -hmm. You know and. I, I have ones that I feel, I mean, the one that I look, uh, I wrote Bridget a good five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things they don't tell you as a writer is that like within two, three years after you write your book, you want to go back and change everything because your knowledge <laughs> has changed, your writing style has changed. So there's a lot of things in Bridget I would do differently if I did a Bridget book again. So that's, that's where, um, I wouldn't say I, I, don't feel close to it, but it's just kind of, um, I have more face palm moments with that one just because I was a new writer and there's, and, um, I have a, a better, a, a better understanding of, of, um, the, the material that I was working with that I didn't have at the time. So, I mean, and, and a lot of people, and, and I still think that, um, there's a, there's a lot that I love and I'm very proud of in that book. There's also a lot of, you know, we all have our cringe moments where I'm like, I just wish I could go back and, and, and do, this 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 short list or a long list of things differently and um i don't have yet have that with the morgan um i'm sure i will at some point look back and wish i had done things differently but there's <laughs> you know there's not i don't have as long of a ooh i wish i had said that differently or i wished i had you know explored this in a different way because you know as a as a witch and a writer and you want to keep learning i'm not going to do myself or my readers any favors if i just stop like, no, I wrote that book. I never need to learn anything about Bridget again. I'm done. You know, <laughs> and so, um, and Tara for one, um, you know, I, I think it's, um, it's, I, I just like, I, I 
think there would still there again i think if i did tarot work one differently i would just add more to it at this point because again yes. my 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 uh toolkit my tools and what i my teaching repertoire has expanded i have a better sense of the questions and also tarot has changed so much in the last few years with so many people doing things online anymore that there's more um to talk about more to discuss and more to refute so i wouldn't say that i feel closer to any of them than others but i feel like Maybe maybe I would say the Morgan right now because it also just hasn't been that long, um, and my life has changed so much since Bridget. My life has you know has moved on since the Morgan, but it's it's I'm you know basically still doing everything I was doing then, just you know more further so. down the road. Different, yeah, so further down the road. Um, I've healed from a lot since the Morgan. The Morgan um, came at a um, a time when I was working through some pretty painful stuff and had a, a number of very painful things happen while I was writing the Morgan. And I was like, shocking, I'm working with the Morgan and I have to deal with all this death and loss, ah! <laughs> um, which was actually great. It was a wonderful place to channel that grief and energy and help, I felt like the Morgan helped me sort through it because it was some very strange grief. It's something I talk about at the end of the book. Like it was an unusual kind of grief and grief is very like layered and it was a, a different kind of grief that I'd ever experienced before. So um, I, uh, I, yeah, I, but so I, I think um, Hakate was just such a, like I mentioned, it was really tough. And I thought it, I should never think this. I always think my next book's going to be easier than the last one. It <laughs> never is. Because um, one of the challenges with Bridget and the Morgan as goddesses is there's so much we don't know. We just don't know much about how the Iron Age Irish worship their deities. We just don't. And we don't have a ton of cultural context. We have the stories, we have the manuscripts of things that are written down, we have the practices, but you know, talking with different Irish scholars, and it's like, what might what might this have been? They're like, yeah, it'd be really nice if our ancestors had written it down for us, but they didn't, we don't know. You know, <laughs> and so there's just so much, but there's so much more documented about um, ancient, you know, Greek Mediterranean world, right? So we have a deeper context. And so I thought that would be easier because there was more information. But sometimes when you have more information, it's even harder, which is why is. I, I couldn't write a book that was just Hakate. There's too much. So I focused on her as the witch. I mean, I could have focused on her as the, as a, a very ancient um, fertility goddess in, you know, her origins in Turkey and talking about her. I mean, there's just too many ways to go. So it's like Hakate goddess of the witches, because that's the Hakate that I can get into 60,000 words. I can't do a 200,000 word book wiser with laugh and then cry. And then cry some more and be like, Courtney, why are you making this? Piece of no. So <laughs> I get a text from Judica that's like, hi, can we talk about your, your length of your manuscript? I just have a couple of questions and I'm like, oh no, I just got a text from Judica. <laughs> Something has to be done. I'm watching poor Amy's face on Zoom and she's failing me very deeply right now. So <laughs> <laughs> she has my manuscript for Blackthorn's Protection and Magic, A Green Witch's Guide to Self-Defense. And Amazing. Then, uh, like any minute now, she's gonna send it back You're to gonna me. You're gonna get a text. You're gonna be like, Amy, comma. <laughs> It was, I hit my word limit and I still had two chapters I wanted to write. No. I, just, I need help. Oh, the worst, the worst also is when they're like, could you, could you like, uh, we're going to need to cut this down. Okay. I'm going to cut it down from 70 to 60. And then when you're done, you have 80. I'm like, that's not how math works, but that's how <laughs> that's, writing works. That's not how numbers work. That's not how numbers work.
numbers work, but word counts. That's how it works. That's the math of writing. So if you take, if you take 10,000 from 70,000, Amy, what do you have in your manuscript? 95,000. <laughs> oh, I'm actually crying because I feel this so hard. <laughs> I got I got botanical bruise back from um, Jane. And, and I, I'm going through and I do the big edit and I'm so proud of myself. And I text Judica, I'm like, it's ready. I'm sending it to you. She says, um, and you, you can hear the face she's making over the phone. She yes, says, the um, the um, the um, <laughs> the um It kills the me every time. Face. Judica, we are sending you all this love. No, this is in love, but also in terror from the writers that <laughs> you support. We love you so much. The um, the um on the phone. <laughs> oh no. She's, she said, I, um, I forgot to tell you, we need to cut uh, 3,000 words from your manuscript. After I did the edit, after I did the, the, do you just so do you all of a sudden go right into the throne room in Amadeus where they said too many yes. notes? Which few did you have in mind, sire? Yes. All of a sudden you're wolfy and you're like, which few did you have in mind, wiser? <laughs> so I, I I had to cut two chapters out, so I'm saving those for another book another day. But that was a singularly special day that I had to sit there going. Where, where, where am I gonna find these? It's already a small manuscript. This uh, Blackthorn's Botanical Magic was 85,000 words. Uh-huh. And to go from that to uh, Sacred Smoke was 40. And then uh, Botanical Brews are like, oh, like 45. I had to cut it down, you know, 3,000 words. So yeah, we, we never know what it's gonna look like when it's when it's done, because it's never mm. really done. It, um, what is it? Van Gogh said that all great works of art are never finished. They're merely abandoned. And that's something that Alice Walker said too, is that there are no finished stories. There are just published stories. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting chills. Yeah. So once a new book comes out, do you have any special rituals that are just yours that you, you sit down and you go, what is, what is your yeah. finishing recognition? Um, I cry. For <laughs> And then what will happen is somebody will send me a meme over the phone with absolutely no context and I will laugh for six hours straight. And then my husband starts to worry about me. And then I drink some wine and I eat a lot of ice cream. Um, and then I take the dog for a really long walk. And then I come back and I start my next book. I just buy jewelry. I'm, I'm, I'm down with this, this <laughs> catharsis that's happening. I just buy too much jewelry. Let me tell you, this was like right after I turned in the Bridge of Manuscript. Um, I didn't understand the, the um, uh, was the altitude sickness you get when you come down from writing a book. Yes. And um, I, I cried. I don't remember what I cried about, but I just cried so hard that deep, like, you know, digging the sobs out the pit of your stomach kind of crying like that. And then... <laughs> I still laugh when I think about it. One of my friends posted on Facebook this meme of this cow sitting on a car hood. And it said, when you get in your car, make sure to tap on the car hood to make sure the cow gets off before you start the car. Like <laughs> ripping on the like, make sure there are no cats underneath it. Like, and I don't know why I couldn't stop laughing. And then after about two hours, like literally could not stop laughing. My husband and our roommate looked at us and went, Ultimately, when are you, are you going to be okay? I'm like, I'm just going to go in the bathroom until the giggles go away. Well, I sat in the bathroom for another hour, still laughing about this cow meme. 
Finally, it's like 11 o'clock, it's time to go to bed. And I go to bed and I lay in bed with my husband and I start shaking, laughing in silence in the bed. And he gets up, he goes, I'm gonna sleep on the couch. I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't don't understand. I said, I think it it just so much um, emotion had been, uh, and also at that point, I was just in a very precarious uh, work situation as well. So I had immense work pressure and immense, um, you know, book pressure for my first book. And then also I was trying to run a very large coven at the time. So I had all these pieces that had so much pressure. And I think that one was released and it just all came out in this flood of absolutely ridiculous emotion. Um, I mean, I guess it'd be good for me to do some kind of magical ritual. I think one of the things I do um, is I, if because you know, three of my books have been about goddesses is that when the book is done, um, the goddess gets a very generous offering on the altar as a way of saying, thank you, we did it. I appreciate you and let's, you know, let's move forward out into the world with this thing. So yeah, so those are a, a couple of the things that um, that I do, but a lot of it is just um, uh, probably moderately unhealthy coping mechanisms for having all of a sudden this stress off my plate. And then of course the dread sets in, because what did you miss, you know? And then you gotta cope with the dread and then all that kind of stuff. So, um, it, you know, the things when you, you meet your author at the festival or at the conference and you're like, wow, they have it all together. They wrote this book. Oh no, they no, put on I mean, a nice shirt and got up and spoke to you for 90 minutes about their topic. And then, you know, they, but it's just been such a, writer's life is such a messy experience in so many ways. It's great, <laughs> but it's also completely ridiculous. My, it was my first book when I got the big edit back I screamed in my office every day. I called Judica every day of the whatever three weeks it took me to edit this thing every day. Are you kidding me? Like it was, it was very cathartic, but also I feel bad for, for Judica having to listen to this me times every other author on her plate at any given moment. I know, I know. Well, the good news is she's an author and she's also a witch. She gets it and she's so, so kind and so lovely. You know, thankfully she puts up with us. Oh yeah, I was... You know, it's your first book, so you're paranoid and you're you're worried yeah. you're going to miss something, and you're you're trying to predict what someone is going to yell at you about in the middle of a conference five years from now. And oh yeah, I <laughs> I had that. I had it was actually very funny. So it wasn't too long ago. I'm um, just tooling around on the internet, and then um, well, I was working, and then I get a message where someone says, "Courtney, I'm so sorry. Everybody's being so mean to you in our group." And I'm like, "Uh oh." You know, and then I get a message from someone else, Courtney, are you okay? I saw the mean things they said in your group. I'm like, okay, let me go in and see what's going on. And I read it and um, some people had some uh, critiques of one of my books and I just started laughing. And I went back to both those very, very kind, worried people and said, honey, it's fine. Don't you worry. I, this I got, don't worry about that. And so I wrote them all a very nice letter. I said, well, I missed some excitement in here this morning. Uh, let me explain a couple of things about why I made these choices. Um, and, um, if you don't want to read my book, that's fine. I, there are so many great authors out there. You won't, you won't have want for something to read. Um, meantime, just have a really good day. And, then, <laughs> and it was just like, I, you know, you, you notice, cause you get like the little scene who has seen the comment mm-hmm. and then who was like, wow, I'm really sorry. I didn't know you were in this group. First of all, second of all, you seem like a nice person. If I'd known that I wouldn't have said that. And then there were the ones that are like, I'm just going to pretend I never saw this message. (laughs) It's okay. I mean, you just, there was a time when that kind of thing um, was so upsetting and so hurtful. And then you get to a place where you're like, I'm not going to be perfect. I can't, you know, and every, 
every writer. That's why you have academics that refute and argue with other academics who've been dead for a hundred years. You know, there's, it's always going to be um, something that's not there. And then once you, I think, finally get that, um, take that burden off yourself about like um, that authors are supposed to be perfect, and that it, you know, and then realize I I can't be. Um, I'm did I did the best I could with what I had in the moment. And if that book is not for someone, then okay, that's fine. You know, I'm sure there will be. be something for them somewhere else. Yeah, and just say I wish you the best luck in, in finding it. Where I draw the line is I don't give people time to sit with me and tell me everything that they don't like about my work. Where I'm like, okay, but I'm uh, that's fine. It's your opinion, but I don't owe you my time. There so, you go. And that's, that's the one that, that yeah. Or especially for new writers, new authors, uh, they're, you know, they're getting their first book published. It's so important for them to understand, like, you don't owe anyone your soul. Like, they can have their feelings and their thoughts and their opinions for it. You don't necessarily have to sit there and wait while they tell you about it. Yeah, there's a, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's the reason why the goddess invented blogs, okay? WordPress.com exists for a reason. They can blog what they think. Um, they can do a freaking, you know, Instagram reel about it, but they don't have to take up your time. You know, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I was published was a little short story on this online uh, fiction magazine called failbetter.com. And um, as soon as I got it published, there was, of course, it was a man and it was mm. a white man. Um, and he, and I was so excited because nope, never been published. and was like, oh, this is great. And so word is out at the place that I worked and this, this intern walks up to me. Um, and I knew for a fact that he had been working on the same short story for six years and had never submitted it anywhere. And he said, I read your story. I'm like, oh, well, thank you for reading it. And he said, well, I need to read it again before I give, can give you feedback. And I said, I'm not asking for feedback. And he's like, was, he was shocked. He thought that I, I owed him the opportunity to give me feedback. I'm like, no, if you were Neil Gaiman, I would sit there like, yes, yes, sir, please, please, all the feedback, please. You know, um, or, uh, or, you know, somebody else who had, who had experience but here's this guy who had no experience whatsoever. What is what? Uh, yeah, he can have an opinion, but I don't owe him the time to sit and hear it. You know, um, again, that's why the goddess invented WordPress.com. So you can go blog your opinions about my short story. I mean, well, I'll just be like, when are you going to send yours in for publication? When's that going to happen? <laughs> and it's funny because you you get the contract in your hand and you sign your life away and you're so excited. And there's still going to be people who doubt because, oh, well, I guess, I guess this publisher's, but no, they're, they're not. It's just not a contest. We're all just excited to be able to put our work out into the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's funny. Cause sometimes people will, will come to me and they'll be like, well, so-and-so author writes the same as you. And I'm like, yeah, they're great. I love them. Five. And, and then they're like, almost like, are you mad that I also read the book? I'm like, no, you should read their book. You should read both of our books. It's not an iPhone. You can have more than one book. <laughs> You know, and I guess you can have more than one iPhone, but most people don't. So, you know, you can, so. <laughs> it always yeah. gets me when, when people say, oh, oh, they're your competition. You say, no, Actually, no, they're no. not. that's not a thing. Rising yeah. tide, lifting all boats, yada, yada. People are, aren't locked into only buying one book. You know? No. And if they like the topic, they're going to buy lots of books on it. Exactly. You know, that's, that's great. You know, those, those, those shelfies that people do where they have their reading stack, mm -hmm. there's usually books by three or four different authors about the same topic. They want to know more about it. If that's their, their botanicals are certainly going to get yours, but there's other people writing about green witchcraft as well. Why not? 
you know, they should definitely read all of yours, but you'll probably <laughs> find that there's going to be other books alongside with them, you know? Yeah, I got, um, I got a message from Judy and Nock got a new cover for one of hers today and it's remarkable she was like this is really close to the cover for botanical magic we should totally do something together yes let's cut like come yeah. on the podcast we'll do a we'll do a, an event like yes do some giveaways it's all about yes you know so yeah so <laughs> yes yes listeners it is okay <laughs> to read books by different authors <laughs> I will give you a star, a note. I'm a notary. I'll put a little stamp on it. Like, I used to be permission. a notary too. <laughs> I told you we were related, Amy. Yes. <laughs> so what are some books that have impacted you recently by other people? Hmm. Well, Jake Richards certainly did. Um, I uh, The Appalachian Folk Magic, I think. It's, oh, sorry. Backwoods Witchcraft is what that's called. Um, and Evo Dominguez Jr. has a new book coming out that I was lucky enough to read the foreword for on the elementals. And that one has been um, a really, really powerful. I'm, right now, it's not a magical book, but um, for those who are interested in, um, in Irish folklore and Irish um, culture, I'm reading a book called Graveyard Clay, um, which has only been recently translated out of Irish in the last couple of years. Right and it's, um, it's, it's kind of, it's a, very, very interesting format. It's all dialogue, absolutely no description whatsoever. And it's people who have recently passed away and they're in the ground bringing the news from above ground and still having the same arguments that they had when they were alive. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone in any Solomon table knows that's the way ancestors are. But um, it's, it's a wonderful book and it has um, some very, a lot of great insight into um, uh, you know, the, the culture, especially in mid 20th century Ireland, some of the things that they were discussing, you know, different, their the different people's perspectives on world events, like around World War II, just really, really wonderful. So that's been um, very impactful for me. And um, been, um, you know, picking back through my Russian fairy tales book, it was helping me for my, uh, yeah, I got this at um, the Strand in New York City. And um, collected by and illustrated by two very different people with a similar sounding name. Collected by Alexander Afanasyev and illustrations by Alexander Alexiev. So I love the <laughs> Russian language. I would I would absolutely read that in the original Russian just to Do you get the Russian? context. Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> I, I, I'm one of those people who I, I collect languages, like some people collect rocks. Mm -hmm. So um, I had in my in my previous life, my daytime life, um, I was the head of security for two high rises in Wellington, Delaware. And one of the uh, couriers who came in every morning came in at probably 515 in the morning and we'd have Russian lessons every morning. Oh, that's wonderful. He's, yeah. he's uh, Rabek, uh, just gorgeous human being, love his whole face. Mm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I wanted to study Russian in college. My parents encouraged me to stick with Spanish, which I'm glad they did because um, I did end up putting my Spanish to more use than I think I would have my Russian. But um, yeah, you you can't, there's so much you miss about the culture until you get inside their language. Oh yeah. The going to miss. And reading the mm -hmm. translations and trying to understand the language itself does nothing without context. Yes. Um, a friend of mine was writing, uh, she writes these incredible books, um, Sarah Piper, gorgeous person. I, you know, love her, love her whole heart. Um, we were talking about this Russian exchange with a, a, a character in one of the books and 
she was like, let me, I'm trying to understand what's happening. The, one of the, one of the neatest things where we were talking about the, not just linguistics, but the, the emphasis that's hidden in the way that we talk about things. Like one of the things that Robeck taught me first, I was, I, I said, oh, you know, he's asking me how my day was. And I say, oh, I'm tired. Mm. And he gets very alarmed. I'm like, what's, what's wrong? He's like, are you, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just a little tired. He's like, well, well, there's, there's, I'm tired. And then there's, I'm tired because of X, Y, Z. So why are you tired? Like, tell me in the whole sentence why you're tired. It's a, I'm tired because my work isn't challenging me. And he says, mm -hmm. okay, like that's fine. But just saying I'm tired, they, they understand that as I'm suicidal. Uh, He's I'm like, weary. because it's Russia. I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't understand mm -hmm. the context. Mm -hmm. Like I, understanding where those feelings are, it was like the neatest thing. So I wouldn't have gotten that if I had gone to, you know, Mr. Smith's Russian class at the community college. Like mm -hmm. this is, mm -hmm. it's so neat getting to yeah. understand and, and speak with a native yeah. speaker. So same thing with, um, with, with Spanish. And I think of one of the things that, that gave me, that gave me so much insight into the way the that life is viewed by by um, Spanish Spanish speaking cultures is where you say you know there's soy meaning I am and then you say I then there's estoy which means I am right now and so if I say um, uh, soy I say or like soy de Oregon which is that I am from Oregon I am always from Oregon that is part of who I am but I would never say I would always say estoy viviendo which means I am alive or I am living but it's in the the impermanent, like I am living right now. I would never say soy bebiendo because that would imply that I'm immortal. You know? <laughs> and so they they just they would in the way you know in English it's like I am I am I am everything is you know is now. very much about the now. There have they like they would never say they would say I am from Oregon. It almost say I am from Oregon. I am living right now. Like that's you know this understanding that life is is temporary. You know so. Yeah. And then you add in the andos and the endos where it's like, this is happening right this minute, uh -huh. Bibiendo, but it could right. change. Yeah. Yeah. Like Bibiendo. Bibiendo is like, I'm living right now. I am living. So yeah, I am aliving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's such a great it's a, uh, language. My, my first Spanish tutors were all from Spain and you're, you're learning this, this very specific Spanish pronunciation. Um, and then my, my college instructors, were more uh, Mexican pronunciation. And it, you could hear the, the little nuances of that. It's like understanding someone's uh, like a Tennessee accent versus a Texas accent. Yes. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, yep. very, very different. It's funny when I go overseas, um, I also put on a show for people about the different American accents I can do. And they're like, God, you guys are so weird over there. <laughs> it's a lot. And it's a big you know. country. People don't recognize that how, I mean, it's not Australia, which is amazing. And I would love to visit one day, but it's, it's also not, you know, England is mostly the size of California, not the entire United States. So mm -hmm. it's, it's always mm -hmm. very interesting to me. Yeah. My last question is, did you ever have a spell that worked so well, it surprised even you? Oh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, one that came up, you know, toward the end of Akate, um, 
my husband and I, we had, my husband and I had a friend come to us um, and ask for some assistance. Um, they were trying to, uh, to um, sell a house and, or get rid of a house. You know, there were a lot of problems with it and they weren't able to sell it. And they were having all these challenges, just like some of the, the problems that come with, with uh, owning a rental. And um, they couldn't, they couldn't get rid of it. They couldn't get rid of it. So they asked for our help. And I was actually at the time having a bit of a, let's say a crisis of faith, but I was um, trying to dig out of some pretty serious burnout and wasn't quite sure how much I believed in magic and witchcraft for its own sake. And I was like, okay, let's, let's do this spell for our friend, blah, blah, blah. At least we said we did it. It'll be nice. You know, um, three days later, that house burned to the ground. <gasps> wow. Yeah. So my husband came in the room with his phone. He's like, um, the house is gone. And I'm like, what? And he said, yeah. And of course, then I just started cackling like witchcraft cackle. I'm like, this is why witches laugh. And we realized one of the things that we'd used in the spell was chili pepper oil. <laughs> um, so the spirits were like, you need something hot to take care of this. Boom. You know, nobody was hurt. Nobody was hurt. So that was like the house was empty. It was something that was going on, but burn to the ground, nothing left. And the spirits were like, job done. We're like, okay, that was, that worked very well. <laughs> and I've got a bunch of love spells in my, my past that were all, they all worked. And that was why, what that's, that's where they all went wrong. So <laughs> I, I've only done one love spell in my life and it worked beautifully. Um, I was 17, maybe I had just gotten out of a cruddy relationship with a big old jerk face who um, I did way better than, uh, and I was, I was okay. Like I need, I need something new and fulfilling and, and uh, supportive and somebody I can share my witchcraft with and someone who can really be there for me to make sure that I, I have you know, the, um, the needs met that my, that my familial relationships are not meeting. And it worked so well that 20 years later, um, we're still, we're still, I can still, still consider him one of my best friends. He lives out in um, San Francisco mm -hmm. and we, we talk regularly. I've, I've, you know, I got to go out for Pantheon Con in uh, 2019 and, you know, have lunch or whatever. And it's such a great, fulfilling, beautiful thing. People are like, oh, well, you can't do that. Yes, you can draw the right person to you. Um, I just don't practice the, oh, I want Bob Jones to say he loves me forever. No, um, but they do work. They do work remarkably well. Sometimes that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly right. It can be the problem. I, I mean, I, I think it's, but I feel like just like with dating, you know, it teaches you about what you do want and what you don't want. And I feel like Correct. love spells manifest because you think you know what you want until you get it. And then you're like, okay, well, that's, that's not what I was exactly what I was looking for. Uh, I mean, to me, the best love spell I ever did was when I really knew I was ready for a life mate is I just handed it over to Bridget. And I said, I know, you know, who my mate is. Could you just bring him along? I'm ready. And I met my husband, you know, oh. yeah. Who was a Bridget you know, devoted witch as well. She's like, I've got just the person for you. Which, by the way, the store Evo Dominguez Jr. actually introduced us. So he and uh, a joke about how, thank you, Bridget and Evo, for orchestrating this meeting. But yeah, I, I did. I just had been through so much drama and chaos romantically. And, and I was like, okay, I just, 
I, I'm, I'm really ready now, you know, and it, and before I'm like, oh, I'm ready to just, but I don't know. I'm, I'm like, no, no, I, I need my person in my life. And so I just said, Bridget, to just bring him in. I'm ready. Just bring him in. And she did, you know, well, I haven't seen you. I, <laughs> I haven't seen you in person since, since you moved to the other coast. Um, yeah. but I, I hope at some point you can come to sacred space or to fairy or something between the worlds is on the agenda. Awesome. So yeah, so definitely planning on being there for that. Um, <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, and so I, I I do miss many of the East Coast festivals and stuff. Um, you know, it's just with the pandemic out here, it's um, there's been nothing that's been going on, so it's been it's been great. But um, yeah, and I, I mean, who knows what's going to resurrect from the ashes of PantheaCon? You know, I hope something amazing. Yeah, I've been to California exactly two times now, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for stopping by. And oh, my how pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> remind, remind our listeners how they can find you. Okay. So my website is CourtneyAWeber.com. I have my books there. I'm also my class schedule. I'm doing a lot of online classes these days. Um, and I'm teaching, um, I'm sorry, and I, I'm doing, do you also get me for readings there? Um, I'm on Instagram and TikTok as Courtney A. Weber. And I'm on uh, Clubhouse and Twitter as the Coco Witch because yes, I have two different handles and I can't seem to get everything on the same page, but <laughs> you can generally find me in those places. And then my podcast is That Witch Life. So um, you also just like books. You can also listen to more than one podcast and it's totally fine. <laughs> listen to all the podcasts. Listen to them. Yes. Sponsor them. Keep them floating. So absolutely go and listen to the Stormy Daniels interview. I was, I love to listen while I'm cooking dinner and I was just cracking up. I'm stirring the food, laughing my ass My off. God. I mean, we told her when we wrote to her to ask her to come on the show, we're like, there will be no questions about 45. If you want to bring him up, that's totally cool, but we're not going to ask about him. And her choice stories about him that she shared on the podcast were so good. <laughs> We were like screaming. We did not bring him up, but she said two things about him, which were some of the funniest things I've ever heard. So I guess you have to go to the episode, y'all. You, you absolutely to have to and uh, absolutely support them on the Patreon so you can get the full interview, not just the uh, what half or so that's on that's on the podcast. Mm -hmm. There's some there's some fabulous stuff you might miss otherwise. So. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks, Amy. Appreciate it. <laughs> I will catch up with you soon. Yes, you will. Okay. Bye. Bye.